The cruel, agonizing humiliation of Kevin McCarthy on live TV in one of the wildest days in Congress ever, what it tells us about the Republican Party. This is the Beyond Politics podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts and on the Blue Amp channel on YouTube. Please consider subscribing. Normally, each week, we do a three-way roundtable show that we call Balance of Power, but former Democratic U.S. Congressman Paul Hodes is off today. So it's just me and conservative commentator and consultant Alicia Preston. So we're just going to call this We're Imbalanced. Alicia, we're apparently imbalanced, and I think that's a pretty good catchphrase for what we saw go down clever in the house clever yesterday. thanks <laughs> thanks it was was hot stuff and it may get even worse today we're recording this wednesday morning january 4th we don't know what's about to happen this is this is like pert happily says this is news that just won't stop breaking alicia what was your reaction for listeners and viewers who don't know you are a longtime conservative republican consultant. You have managed races for folks like this. What was your reaction to all of this insanity happening in the House yesterday? My first reaction was, I am so tired of making history. Our government is constantly just making history. Can we stop making history? Yeah. <laughs> you know, think of. Being famous isn't always good. No. And you know, I'm watching the punishers that they're like, chaos, history, first time in a hundred years. I'm like, can we stop making records out of stuff? Like, I just want calm and normalcy. I don't care who's speaker at this point. I just want like people to be sworn in and government to govern I'll however you, they want to govern. It's interesting that you say that because I've gone through, gosh, I think five opening organizing days in the house as a staffer and it's normally, actually, it's a surreal but delightful scene because what you've got is all these new members of Congress who are bringing this, like, fresh-faced energy, and they've got their families, they've got their kids. Frequently, you've got, like, young children running around the halls and even on the floor, and everyone's excited, and everyone wants to be friends. And there's, like, this brief moment where, like, Republicans, Democrats are like, hey, I just won my race, too. Isn't this amazing? <laughs> and, like, the veteran members of Congress are like, wait, kid, wait you five wait. minutes. You know, yeah. you know it, it's not all sunshine. But really is sort of an invigorating, hopeful, full of possibilities moment, usually. And it was just such a contrast to the vitriol. Like the downright vitriol. I don't know if you saw Marjorie Taylor Greene step out of the Republican meeting and just go on this TikTok rant. It was epic. And then Matt Gates held a press conference, which was a self-own as he called out Kevin McCarthy for, I don't want another Benghazi situation. I, we can get into that and why that's significant, but that was just political theater. Oh, you're saying that out loud now. That's delightful. It was just, it was surreal to me. It was bizarre. And look, I didn't see Marjorie Taylor Greene's TikTok because I'm over the age of 18. And so I don't go on TikTok. Oh, they put it on uh, YouTube as well. And oh, you, OK. That, maybe yeah, I'll check that, it out. Yeah, I'm going to spend time checking that out. People, for adults. But when I did see Lauren Bulbert, you talk about children running around the floor when Lauren Bulbert got up and said, I proudly nominate Jim Jordan. I'm like, girl, sit down. What are you doing? Children. That's children, what Children, behave. Children you know, you're a behave. parent too. Oh my gosh. Are you having a, what was her name? What was her name? That's what they say. Where to get Tiffany? Tiffany. You're having a Tiffany moment. I'm having a Tiffany epiphany. You're going to give a concert. I'm having a, a Tiffany ball. epiphany. Oh my gosh. We're a certain age. Yeah. It's funny that you bring up children running around. That is the right metaphor. It did seem a little bit like a tantrum to me. And I, it actually leads into my big question for you. I'm really trying to understand what's driving this? Like, what's the internal thinking? There have been a ton of think pieces. Boy, the last week has really kept pundits and analysts and panelists. Ooh, see what I did there? It fully. Me, yeah, ah, nice. I, fantastic. Yeah, I. it really kept all of us in business trying to dissect the Republican psyche and why are they rejecting Kevin McCarthy? He has done so much. He's actually based himself. He's humiliated himself, bending over backwards to the Freedom Caucus crowd over and over again over the last decade, trying to make sure he never gets outflanked to his right. And then humiliating himself after calling after the insurrection and after calling out Donald Trump and saying, Donald Trump, his words, bears responsibility for this. This is his fault. And then backtracking on that 
and going to eat crow and kiss you know what at Mar-a-Lago three weeks later because he didn't want to get on the wrong side of his right flank. And these people are now saying, no, none of that is enough. We hate you. You suck. What's going on? What's driving this? A few things. Let me back up a little. His groveling to Donald Trump. I'm just going to say this, and most groveling. women will That's agree with me. Le juste. Fantastic. <laughs> most women are going to agree with me here. There is nothing masculine about groveling. And so I feel Kevin McCarthy, and I know that's sexist, and I don't care. I feel Kevin McCarthy yes. demasculated himself. Is that a word? Demasculated? Yeah. There's right? emasculated, but we just put out a video on Blue on Blue Amp on the Blue Amp channel where we say he was gelded on live TV. Does that, does that seem right? It works for me. Yeah. Look, at the end of the day, I think Kevin McCarthy would actually make a good speaker. I think he actually can behind the scenes, despite what he says up front. He can work with some Democrats. I think he does want to get things done. But the problem is, you're right, he's catered to, and mind you, it's not just, the, it's not the Freedom Caucus. The Freedom Caucus has a lot of people in it. This is like 17 people within the Freedom Caucus. It's the mm. crazy caucus of the Freedom Caucus that is holding our Congress hostage. And with the margin so tight, that's what they're doing. And what do they want? Matt, you're trying to be rational. They just want to be, I was watching CNN yesterday. Republicans don't come out of me for watching CNN. I was watching CNN yesterday because- Well, Fox rhino News, now. I'm a rhino now. Fox News was not covering this. It drove me nuts. They're like covering everything but what was happening with the speaker's race yesterday. And it drove me batty. So I switched oh. to CNN. No, they had a moment. They had Rhoda McDaniel, the Republican oh. National Committee chairwoman, talking about, this is terrible. This is us eating our own, and this is giving Democrats exactly what they want. And we did a whole video about this where my video partner, Cliff Schechter, is just smiling into the camera and eating popcorn. Yes, <laughs> you're right, Rona, but go on, go on. Yes, yeah, so I'm watching CNN, God forbid, and the anchors kept referring to these 17, 18, ended up by the third vote being 20 people as rebels. They're not rebels. Rebels tend to have a purpose and a cause. These are disruptors. They're and rebels are, without a cause. Is they're what rebels saying. without a cause. Good flick, by the way. Oh, yeah. And when you are disrupting for the sake of disrupting without purpose, you are useless. And considering you are the third highest ranking elected official in our federal government, all 20 of you, and you are disrupting for the sake of disrupting and to get your name heard, Lauren Boebert, you, I'm talking to you, because you are actually irrelevant. And so you hunt for relevancy. You are not doing your job. You are elected to be a member of Congress, and they're just stirring the pot for fun to get the name out there and to be like, we crazy. We have the crazies with the crazies. And I think it's shameful. It's fun to make fun of if it weren't that they're holding our government hostage at the moment. Quite literally, you cannot do anything until a speaker is elected. And they don't care because they're not there to govern for the people in New Hampshire of the United States. They're not there to represent Americans. They're there to represent their own damn egos. It really does remind me of the scene in The Dark Knight where Michael Caine says, some men don't care for money. They just want to watch the world burn. That seems to be what's going down right now. By the way, breaking news, just have to read this out. George Santos, Republican from New York, now a full member of Congress, has just left the Capitol. He flew to Rome to attend the funeral of his father, Pope Benedict. Our condolences to George Santos on that. But it is really, it's spending. And I want to take people back a little bit here. And this history is, it's worth remembering, although it's only to nerds. So I'll keep it brief. But- Back many years ago, in 2010, there was a little bit of an engineered Republican revolt. I'm talking about the Tea Party here. And it turns out it was not a grassroots movement. It's what is called in politics an astroturf movement. It was fomented by Dick Armey, the former Republican majority leader of the House, with a ton of right-wing money behind it, where they created these kind of... Anyway, we remember the Tea Party. One of the things that came out of the Tea Party was a group of young Republicans. Yeah, there you go. It was a group of young Republicans who were sort of new stars in the conservative firmament. I'm talking about Eric Cantor, Paul Ryan, and Kevin McCarthy. And they assigned themselves a nickname that was really obnoxious, but they thought was cool, the Young Guns. I know this because- Oh, there's I, actually a Young Gun program with the National Republican Congressional Committee, you know. Or there yes, was. and you know yeah. why? Because they created it. And it was all about finding anti-government, low-tax, kind of Tea Party energy conservatives, 
they called themselves, whatever, Republicans to elect to office. And so these guys ran around, they raised a lot of money, and they got a lot of like-minded Republicans elected to office. And then what happened was they all got high positions in government. Eric Cantor became the third-ranking Republican in the House. Paul Ryan became the chair of the Budget Committee, and Kevin McCarthy also got a leadership position. He became the whip, the person who is responsible within the party for making sure that everyone stays on board with whatever bill is being put forward. What happened? There was a big showdown over government funding and the debt ceiling, and it was Kevin McCarthy's job to make sure the Republicans fell in line and supported a bill to increase the debt ceiling. And all of these people that he helped elect were like, bro, this is not what I'm all about. You recruited me to watch the world burn, to burn it all down. I'm not going to vote for this stuff. And so McCarthy whipped them to vote for it. And then he himself voted against it. And then in 2015, he turned around and tried to become speaker. And he said the quiet part out loud where he admitted that the whole Benghazi investigation was just a political put-up job to hurt Hillary Clinton politically. He said that out loud. And Republicans were like, bro, you don't say that kind of thing. Come on, man. And so he lost his opportunity to become speaker. They turned to Paul Ryan. And so now there's this whole faction of Republicans that are like, we do not trust this person. First of all, he's not that smart. And second of all, we're not sure like where he's going to come down. Fast forward to 2020, and there was the whole Trump thing. He went from being what Trump called my Kevin, the biggest sycophant in the Republican firmament, kissing up to Donald Trump, to blaming the insurrection correctly on Donald Trump, to then going to Mar-a-Lago, his pilgrimage of shoe kissing, we'll call it. And again, like the right flank, the crazy caucus was like, bro. Where are you on all this? And so he's developed, it's just, it's almost like a Shakespearean irony here that he has worked so hard to flip and flop and reimagine himself to get in good with the nut jobs. They will never friend him. They will never like him. He will never be one of them. And it's in a way, it's even more insane because if he had just stuck with his original persona, which was as a kind of moderate, not too bright backslapping type, he might have made it. He might have been a consensus guy, but now he's stuck where he is. You just did a whole lot of dunking on Republicans right there. So let me back up and say I think Hillary Clinton uh, should you. be held responsible to an extent for what happened in Benghazi, as should her boss have. And I'm all for the fact that there was an investigation. Kevin McCarthy said the quiet part out loud. Uh, it's they To me, it's not. Cared. I don't agree with they Kevin McCarthy's cared. point. Anyway, go every on. single investigation against a politician, every single one, including the impeachments of Donald Trump, are driven by politics. And on that, whether you think – Trump should have been impeached or not. They knew he wasn't going to be convicted in the Senate. Every single investigation against a politician that is particularly from the party that is not in power is always political. Republicans do know. it. Democrats was do Watergate? it. I was like two. I don't know what happened in Watergate. I wasn't watching things back then. Oh, let me um, tell you, because I was. I think Kevin McCarthy's smart. I, I think he's not savvy. And I think that's different. I think he he's in a everybody's in a difficult position right now because you have this small contingency of crazies. You have the Getz, the Marjorie Taylor Greens, the Lauren Boebers. There are a few others. And what do you do with them? And they keep getting reelected. And I have some suggestions. <laughs> let's not reelect them. And but they there are enough of them. You only need five, I think, and there's ten of them that are so extreme and so insane and they're there for the wrong reasons and they're making decisions for all the wrong reasons based on personal ego not what's best for not only their own constituents but the entire country and so there is a difficult what do you do with them because they've got to vote for somebody how do you get them and so you've got the vast majority of republicans that are in the house and then you've got this small contingency of nutbags and i don't know how you manage you can't rationalize with the irrational so I do think McCarthy's in a tough position and I'm not his biggest fan, but I also am not a big detractor of his other than his bizarre post insurrection love fest with Donald Trump. I think he's done some very good things and I think he could be a successful speaker if it weren't for this small contingency of Looney Tunes who will never be appeased and who will never play ball because they don't care about what's best for this country. 
You have an, an interesting point there because yesterday I was laying the scene of what it's usually like on one of these opening swearing in, it's called organizing day, essentially in the house. And one of the features of it that I was mentioning was like, people are seeing each other in the halls. They don't care so much if you're a Republican or they're just like greeting it. And it, it lends itself to that kind of thing. Like your family's there. Like you're not going to be vicious most of the time, unless you're a total jerk, like Lauren Boebert. You're not going to be vicious to someone that's, hey, your husband's here. Your kids are here. Let me greet you. Congratulations. Nice to meet you. What's your name? You know who's really good at that? Kevin McCarthy, he has a well-deserved reputation of remembering people's kids' names and like what soccer team they're on. And he's actually, in other circumstances, he would have been in his element yesterday and it was just a complete inverse. Let me ask you another kind of ironic twist question about Republicans. You're going to like peer into the Republican mind for me here. There's this interesting contrast. Yesterday, Mitch McConnell set a record as the longest serving Senate majority leader, surpassing the old record from Mike Mansfield. So there's this weird contrast, right? You have Mitch McConnell, who has at times passed bills that are Biden bills. He has supported them. Today, right now, as we record this, he and President Biden are on their way to an event at a bridge in Kentucky that literally bridges Kentucky and Ohio. That has been a longstanding priority. Donald Trump gave a speech in front of this bridge talking about the need for an infrastructure bill. And it's something that Trump and McConnell, even when they had majorities in the House, Senate, and the presidency, they could not get an infrastructure bill done. And it's something that McConnell, to his credit, helped get done with a Democratic President Joe Biden. And they're going to be together to celebrate it. Why isn't McConnell suffering this kind of blowback from burn it all down nut jobs that McCarthy is. Mitch McConnell's a statesman, first and foremost. I think even Democrats respect him for his career, for his interest, for the fact that he does put the best interests of America before politics. He's got to play politics. He's the head of the Republicans in the Senate, but he doesn't do it at the expense of the country. And that's why he is respected, if not liked. And if his policies aren't loved, he is respected by people on all sides of the aisle, with the exception of that same crazy contingency. The other factor is that the House and the Senate are two very different bodies. The institutions are different. The U.S. Senate is an institution of great honor, respect, statesmanship, for the most part. There's been a couple loons that have passed through in there once in a while on both sides of the aisle. But for the most part, there's a there's a collegiateness to that body. And I just think it's a different vibe than what you get in the house where you can have the rabble rousers. Now you got 435 of them. That's a lot. That's a lot of people to say they're all going to be ladies and gentlemen. And but what you in the Senate is a very different respect for the institution, I think, that they hold. It's an interesting point because. Ultimately, people respond to incentives. And I was talking to my old friend, Ryan McConaughey, who worked as a staffer in the house. Is he related to Matthew? Because if so, you're going to have to introduce me. Yes, he also plays naked bongos. It's weird. Ryan, that's not that. true. Unless Matt not true. joining him, I don't need that. That's Ryan was a house staffer for Democrats with me, and then he became Chuck Schumer's right-hand man on policy for all the Democrats in the Senate. And he's been on the show a few times. And he pointed out that if we want to fix our politics and we want to fix our political institutions like Congress, which most Americans say they hate, you have to fix people's incentives why. with good reason. You have to fix people's incentives. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. I have to take a break. There's a, there's a breaking news story here. George Santos has decided to turn his congressional office into a bio lab because he invented the COVID vaccine and he's now hot on the trail of a cure for cancer. So that's great. That's a great news story to interrupt with. Excellent. But well, more on that. More on that later. But you have to, Ryan's point is you have to fix people's incentives outside the institutions, out in America, their, what their political incentives are in terms of their behavior in order to fix how they behave inside our institutions and to not have them running around like nut jobs. And there was a very interesting Substack article from our old friend on the show, Noah Berlatsky, who's a writer, a political analyst, a very smart guy, who pointed out the incentive, the goal for many, not everybody, but for many Republicans, especially in the House, is just to get hits on Fox News, or if you can't, failing that, Newsmax. 
And the way to do that is to brand oneself as the true, I'm quoting from him here, the true uncompromising conservative. And the way to do that is to find some other Republican nearby and declare them a rhino. It really reminds me of the Salem witch trial, like the crucible type vibe, where it's like the way to show your purity is to call out the impurity in the person next to you. She's a witch. He's a witch. It's true in Lauren Boebert's case. And that makes- No, she actually look, is, I think. She actually is. It makes you look better by comparison. And so the whole incentive structure for these folks who face no electoral competition in their districts is- well, Lauren Boebert almost lost. But Marjorie Taylor Greene, despite- an unbelievably well-funded challenger was never going to lose and won. I think in that district, I could put up Atticus. That's my dog with an R next to his name and he'd win. That's just the district. Of the name too. Uh, So I do think, I do think, and this is, you know, what political scientist Jonathan Bernstein said is that what the Freedom Caucus gets out of it is a chance to win in this real conservative game at the cost of actual conservative policy preferences. That's another ultimate irony here is that they're actually holding back. If you were to list anything that is a true ideologically conservative goal, what you actually want to achieve in elected office or in government, everything, all of their like temper tantrums here actually- They're anti-Republican. Right. They're anti-Republican. And it drives me batty that people support them. Oh, they're the true conservatives. Look, conservatives are not opposed to law enforcement. Conservatives believe that democracy around the world is good for America and the world. Conservatives believe in helping other nations to share and support their own democracy against tyrants like Russia. Conservatives believe infrastructure is better for the greater economy and the greater good and therefore better for people's personal pocketbooks and homes. This is what conservatives do and have always believed. This is republicanism. And these whack jobs get out there and say, I'm the true. You're not a true conservative. You're anything but conservative. You're not even a marginal Republican. You're a lunatic and you don't know what you stand for. And that drives me as a conservative Republican, probably crazier than anything else they do and say, is that they're doing it under the flag of conservatism. And I get called a rhino all the time for my opposition to these people. And I wanna shake people and go, you don't know what conservatism is. It's not a title, it's a philosophy that they don't hold. Oh, by the way, speaking of our overseas uh, alliances, I just have a breaking item here. This just popped up on Twitter that George Santos has announced that uh-huh. he's going to make his first overseas trip as a member of Congress to South Korea, where he's going to reunite with the K-pop supergroup BTS, for whom he was a founding member. Good for you, Mr. Cool. Santos. But yeah, there's a real, there's a reason I was alluding to that Tea Party energy before. Now, look, in the case of the Tea Party, there was at least some motivating kernel like a corn nugget in in oh i was about to make a gross analogy there was a little nugget of <laughs> I know conservative where you, you know where i was going mm. with that but for me thanks for not continuing it i appreciate that <laughs> all right you're welcome <laughs> but there, there, there was something to it it was a reaction it was a ginned up reaction it was a distorted reaction but it was demented but it made a little bit of ideological consistent sense that there was some reaction to the affordable care act there was some reaction of I get the creation of the Tea Party. I look, I'm not a joiner. I can't say I was ever part of the Tea Party movement, but I got it. I got it. I think the Affordable Care Act was a terrible health care bill, and it did a lot more damage to middle America than it did good. So I got it. But like everything, it gets bastardized. And I, that's what happened with the Tea Party. You could connect a dot. You could connect a Republican conservative dot between ideology and what they were trying to do and what it became was nihilism ultimately I agree. What it- that's what led to the budget standoff and the debt ceiling standoffs because ultimately there really was not a coherent agenda for these folks it was just we're against everything and the problem was their whole the whole Tea Party energy sort of was concocted in a right-wing lab and then it escaped lab containment. And did Santos own that lab too? 
Yes, as it turns out, he did. He also, mm. this is a fresh announcement. George Santos just announced that he too has separated from Giselle Bunchen, with whom he enjoyed a three-way marriage to Tom Brady. So <laughs> condolences to Mr. Santos. But as yeah. a really straight woman, I have to admit that I think I'd choose Giselle over Tom. I'm just saying. <laughs> really? That's I, interesting. Tom's not my style. Giselle he holds no appeal isn't, for me. But isn't Giselle like everyone's style? No, as a straight man. And one who's married to a woman of German heritage. So there's a shared connection mm. there. She's not my cup of tea. I, she's Tom's just not my, I'm married to a Greek god. And so then you there you Tom go. and you're like, you got nothing you're, on this, bro. <laughs> oh, that's well done. Way to play. I have a bone to pick with Tom Brady because when I was fixing to marry my wife, her friends took her out for a little bachelorette dinner and they gave her a lovely gift, which was a framed photo of me and her together from which they had cut out my head and replaced it with Tom Brady's. So that guy could go pound sand. Any- I feel like I need to go hang out with your wife's friends. They sound like fun. Yeah, that was really great. <laughs> really fantastic. Yeah, that's the thing is that like, Ultimately, the tea party energy, it, it got loosed and it was not directed toward anything. And so it just, it was like a wildfire. And look, we saw in 2012 and 2014 how it turned into the first round of Republicans nominating insane, unelect- unelectable candidates like Todd Akin and the witch from Delaware and people who were just Richard Murdoch and like nut jobs. And then we saw a version of that this year as well with your Herschel Walkers. And it's, there's a real through line. And I don't think that in the last 10 years, the Republicans have ever figured out what to do with this monster that they created and unleashed. And I'm not saying that it was totally their creation. They clearly tapped into something that was a real feeling, a vibe that Donald Trump was able to pick up on, this MAGA populism. That is a real thing. It's a real feeling. But boy, they still, they rely on that undercurrent in the party, but they haven't figured out how to focus it and channel it. And there are some members of Congress who are just hooked on it and stuck with it and they can't escape it and it drives their behavior. And now we're all stuck with it as well. I get its creation. I think it goes back even a little farther. When Barack Obama was president, I had gone my whole life without being called some of the things I was called when Barack Obama was president. I disagreed with many of his policies. And if I disagreed, I could be as specific about a policy as possible. And online, I have free freeze shots when I was called a racist, a bigot, all kinds of things, because I didn't believe in policy. And I have to say, I got to a point where I was tired Mm. of being told to sit down and shut up, white girl. You're not allowed to have an opinion because our president is black. Now that happened to millions of Americans. And it did put us in a corner. It absolutely put us in a corner and it wasn't right and it wasn't fair. And this was on basic conservative principles. And when you get beat down and beat down, people are going to respond. And how many responded was with things like the creation of the Tea Party. And then it expanded. And then we had Donald Trump as president. And do you know what Donald Trump as president did? He said to all those people who still felt beat down, abused verbally by strangers on the internet and by government, said, I'm with you. I hate right along with you. Yeah. And he took their internal hate and he made it okay. And here we are today. Look, it's what I think you're spot on. And again, this was the best, the best headline for an article that I ever wrote that I ever came up with was about deplorables versus insufferables. And you can't beat deplorables by being insufferables. And I do think you're right about the proposition that the Tea Party tapped into and the MAGA movement tapped into and Donald Trump tapped into was this idea of, you know what? I may be a plutocrat. I may look like a total clown when I pretend to shovel coal or drive a truck. And if you're wondering what I'm talking about, YouTube, Donald Trump pretends to drive a truck. Donald Trump pretends to shovel coal. He looks like an ass. He always looks like an ass. I was going to say, that's not abnormal. He has no idea what normal humans do behaviorally. Just look at him trying to drink a glass of water. But what he was basically implicitly or explicitly saying to people is, you may see through my Maybelline, but I don't look down on you. I don't 
think you're deplorable. And it's, the irony is he does. He does. You're right. The irony is he does. He doesn't like you folks. He yeah. thinks he is above you guys. All of you that worship him the most, he doesn't care about you. He thinks you're stupid. He asks you for money for things like trading cards that you don't even physically get or whatever the heck they're called. Cause he knows he thinks you're stupid enough to do it. And you guys keep doing it because you think he cares about you. He doesn't care about you. I, I, no, absolutely. Who does care about you though is George Santos, who has just announced that he had a floodlight installed on the top of the Capitol dome so that he can resume his nighttime side hustle, which is putting on a bat costume and fighting crime. So that's that good. Good for you, George. Good for you, yeah, George. I'm. I am seriously impressed. I, yeah. What I think is. What I think is difficult for Democrats, in everything you just said and that we just laid out, is that. There is a real mix here. There are true deplorables out there. There are true racists out there. Lauren Boebert. Right. And what we've seen in the last, let's call it six to 12 years, is there's been this weird mixture of, especially during the Trump era, and there's plenty of data to back this up, white supremacists, racists, deplorable people feeling seen and supported and this is their words not mine this no, is true. this is them coming out and saying like the nick fuentes types saying donald trump is our president like the daily stormer which is the american fascist party newspaper yeah they call it that i'm not making this stuff up they say that donald trump is our first is our the first president who feels like one of us and you've seen this wave, this massive increase in anti-Semitic attacks and anti-Black attacks. And so he's he has truly unleashed forces that were nascent in American society of racism and intolerance and bigotry. That's all real. And then you've got this whole other segment of Americans who are not deplorable, who because they don't really in their hearts look down on people of other races. They may have some old-fashioned opinions. They may be getting used to some cultural trends, but I don't think that they're unredeemable in their hearts, but they get lumped in. And right. there is a powerful message to get through to people like that, especially when the leading candidate of one of the two major political parties says, you're deplorable. You are part of a basket of deplorables and you are, you and Richard Spencer, the head of whatever white nationalist separatist group he's the head of, you're the same person and I'm lumping you all in together. When Hillary Clinton said that, I think she lost a lot of votes of those who were in the middle who said, wait, I might be undecided and you just called me a deplorable because I feel X, Y, and Z about whatever policies or positions or conservatism versus liberalism. And we've got to stop doing this to each other. Look, to your point, what Donald Trump said to those who did have latent bigotry or racism in them said, it's okay. You can express it now. And they did. And they have, and they continued to, because they found a club led by Donald Trump that said, it is okay. It is okay to look down upon people from South America and Central America who are coming here for a better life, escaping human trafficking and starvation and rapes and it's okay to look at them and say they're scum. Their countries are their people coming from SH whole countries. Why do we want them in America? It's okay to feel that forgetting the whole point of America is to bring people from bleep whole countries to give them a better life. And you can use, lose your intellect in exchange for your bigotry. And Donald Trump said, I'm right along with you guys. And then they all found each other. And mm. it is a small percentage of America, but it is a loud percentage because they've got Donald Trump at their helm. And that is an absolute disgrace. You just said something profound and meaningful and inspirational. And now I'm going to step on it by making a joke. I, <laughs> yeah, I, because how we roll. By the way, that, I'm going to defend Donald Trump for his two handed drinking of water. I tend to use two hands when I drink my tea. What about his walking down a ramp? Uh, how about that? Actually, it's a great segue because. What Cliff Schechter and I are talking about on the Blue Amp channel, we'll have a video out about this today, is did you see Greta Thunberg's clap back at, what's his name, Tate, Andrew Tate, that mm -hmm. meathead? Did you see that? 
I did. So what she's talking about here is, and I'm going to say it on the podcast, small dick energy that he's really <laughs> exhibiting a lot of that. And it really struck me in Cliff that there is a major, there's an outbreak of SDE in the Republican Party and in the Republican Party leadership. You see a ton of overcompensation, let's call it, a ton of posing, cosplaying, mansplaining, manspreading. Like, there, there's a ton of SDE. My point about this is, Oh, you have one. Oh, okay, good. Let's go there. Oh, I, I'm willing to just assert <laughs> that MAGA is the party of SDE. But beyond that, I do think it actually connects back to your point about how the way to stand out among the MAGA types is to punch down at people who are less fortunate, at people who are immigrants, at people who are transgender, at people who are different or poor. And it's a way of making yourself feel bigger and stronger and more powerful. And th that all comes from a an inadequacy and uh, some major SDE. And I think Donald Trump is the king of it. I think your last point is right. I think it may be SDE. I think part of it is like, we live, the more connected we are, the less connected we seem. And it can be a lonely world. It really can. People are, particularly since COVID, people, they interact through social media. They interact online. There's not as much personal connection, which means there's not as much personal responsibility because you can say and do anything online and not get punched in the face like you would have in 1986 in the schoolyard. But I think that there is a loneliness and sometimes people found each other through their shared hate. And mm. I think that's sad. And I think it's unfortunate, but I think it is a result of a very lonely overconnected world. It's worth looking up, and I've done a couple of shows with him, Dan Cox at AEI, the American Enterprise Institute, which is a conservative think tank. He does really fascinating deep dive public opinion research. And I think longtime listeners and viewers know that I have some skepticism about the ways we measure public opinion, because I think political elites are speaking Mandarin and the rest of normie human beings are speaking Swahili and we're talking past each other. But what he does is very thoughtful, deep dive sociological work. And he's identified exactly what you're talking about, which is the sense of this alienation, loneliness, disconnection, especially among young American men and all of the social consequences that go with it. Now, we're seeing this in other societies as well. We're seeing it in Japan, where family formation and marriage and birth rates are on a massive decline. And it has to do largely with a generation of young men there who have lost interest in all of those things and are retreating into online worlds. And maybe there's a thread of that going on here. I'm not a sociologist. I don't know. But I do think from a political standpoint, it is interesting, and it does connect to the fact, why, how on earth could a conspiracy theory that holds that Democrats are part of a worldwide satanic cannibalistic cult operated out of a pizza parlor in Washington, D.C.? How Can could that- the enzymes from children? Is that what it is? Sure. Is it enzymes? Let's go with enzymes. I think it's enzymes. Um, how could that become something that 45% of Republicans- say in polling, they think has some merit. How could that happen? I'm not saying- I'd that have that to means... see the poll that says 45%. I, I, I'm not, I know a well, lot of Republicans- There are not multiple polls. There are multiple polls that show that a significant percentage. Now, look, I'm not saying that all of those Republicans really think that. I'm not saying- I'm not saying that they fully have imbibed the what's really going on with the QAnon conspiracy theory, but there's some traction. There's some, the traction that conspiracy theories get probably connects to, again, this alienation, isolation, and some deeper sociological problems that you're pointing to that I think have played out most violently and most spectacularly in the Republican Party. I'm not saying the Democrats are immune from them, but we've seen the consequences most in the Republican Party. It's led to some really bizarre politics. And I think there is a connection to these 20 or so House Republicans who are voting against Kevin McCarthy, and they don't have a coherent agenda. They don't have a coherent goal. All they want is to burn everything down 
and they're not even sure why they're throwing the tantrum and what it is that they hope to achieve, see Matt Gates's press conference and look no further than that from yesterday. Let me ask you a question about this. What's going to happen today? This is, let's put this in the category, predictions that are sure to go wrong. By the time this podcast comes out, Everything that you and I are about to say is probably wrong. I'm going to turn off the TikTok camera for this. What's about to happen here, Alicia? Is Kevin McCarthy going to end up as speaker? Is it going to be someone else? Look, we haven't even had a second ballot since 1923. And I believe, I was looking last night, this situation hasn't happened since 55. So we are, that to me is unprecedented territory. So it's hard to make predictions. At the end of the day, I think it's And possible. will it be at the end of today? And it may not. It once took three months to right. seat a speaker. And for listeners who aren't aware, you can't do anything else until you elect a speaker, which makes me want to ask you a question in a minute. I think at the end of the day, Kevin McCarthy might eke it out. I'm not sure. Will a few Dems cross over if they realize Jeffries doesn't? But there is a funny scenario that if there are enough Republicans that don't vote, and I think it's only eight or 10, Matt, you're more wonky than I am on this stuff, that the threshold of the 218 votes needed goes down. If that happens... Jeffries at 212, the Democrat, could actually become Speaker of a House where the Republicans have the majority. Now, will that happen? I don't know, because we're trying to rationalize 20 insane people. And would they rather have a Democrat Speaker to make a point, since we know they don't actually care about what's best for America, would they rather make a point and sit down on those votes to let a Democrat be Speaker so that McCarthy can't have it? I think they might be crazy enough to make that happen. I don't think so. So what you're referring to, you're 100%. And I know people are thinking to themselves, wait, you said there'd be no math on this exam. And I agree with you. So I will keep the math. I will keep the math very limited here. But the bottom line is this. The rule when you're electing a speaker is you need to have a majority of people present and voting. So if you have 100 people present and voting, you need to have 51 to have a speaker. That's a majority of 100. So there are currently 434 elected members of Congress. Why not 435, the normal number? Because Don McEachern of Virginia died after the election and his seat remains unfilled. So I just want to point out to listeners that I was trying to figure out whether there's only 434 yesterday. And I had other friends who I thought are as wonky as you and none of us could figure it out. So I text Matt because I'm like, who's the biggest nerd I know, Matt? He'll know the answer to this. And you did right away. I was very impressed. Uh, I'm surprised. But impressed. Should you be though? Should you be? I put the nerd oh, on me a little bit. I wish I had practical knowledge. Like you have a clog and a sink. It's oh, I'm going to call Matt. He knows what to do about this. So you're right. And without getting into actual math here, the bottom line of your point is correct. Sometimes what you can do in these kinds of voting situations is you don't need to flip someone all the way. You can flip someone, and you see this occasionally on regular votes for bills in Congress, where if you do, if someone doesn't want to be on the record voting for something that they find odious, sometimes you can talk them into taking a walk, it's called, meaning like just don't show up and vote or vote present. Now, you see this less and less these days because it's harder to get away with it because people get called out for you wouldn't even take a stand on that. And that can be almost as damaging politically. But given the kind of fluid politics of what's going on the Republican side here, one possible pathway for McCarthy to work this out is he doesn't have to turn, he doesn't have to turn 20 Republicans. So he can only lose four. He can only lose four because of the size of the majority that Republicans have, which includes George Santos, who actually has to vote by proxy from his moon base. But he can only lose four votes. And he on the third ballot yesterday, there were 20 Republicans voting against him. He doesn't have to flip 16 to vote for him. He could flip some of them to vote present and just not take a stand on it. And then he could win a majority of those who vote for a named candidate with a lower threshold than what he needs currently. So you're right about that. That is a potential scenario. Now, my question to you, Mr. Smarty Pants, 
So I spent way too much time yesterday. I really need more hobbies. I'm trying to figure out if the new con the old Congress, 117th Congress is no longer Congress. The 118th Congress comes in. Before they can get sworn in, they have to elect a speaker. They haven't elected a speaker. Do we have a Congress? I saw you post this on Facebook because you know what? Outside of being affable on shows together, we actually get along. Yeah, it's amazing. We're real Facebook friends. <laughs> and I saw you post this and I pledged to myself not to do research in advance. So I'm about to say something, and this is like a pop quiz for myself. I might be wrong about this. That's what's so delightfully exciting. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I, that said, I'm reasonably confident that I'm right. So the Senate and the House are very different, as you mentioned before. The Senate is a continuous body. You only elect one third of the chamber in each election. So you've still got two thirds of the senators there. The Senate is still the Senate and you're just bringing in a new crop. The House is not a continuous chamber. At the start of each Congress, they have to pass a whole set of rules for how they'll operate. And none of this is spelled out very much in the Constitution. And it's actually amazing if you read Article 1, which is about the Congress, how little is spelled out about how the House needs to operate. So we do a lot on the basis of precedent. And here's how we've done things before. And the sh that's all a long way of saying, do we have a Congress right now? Yes. They are elected. They are duly elected members of Congress. And if there were, say, a war, if Putin attacked us and we needed to pass a war resolution, then it would be possible to organize them, to formally accept and seat them, and for them to start to operate. But the problem is they're not organized right now. They don't have a set of rules for how the chamber is going to operate. So in an emergency sense, yes, we have an elected Congress. We could use it. They could, on an emergency basis, organize themselves in a matter of minutes and operate as a Congress if they needed to. But in a functional sense, do we have a working House of Representatives right now? No, we do not. And we will not until we elect a speaker, pass a set of rules, and formally get going. And I'm reasonably sure that I'm right about all that. So what I have to say is to our members of Congress is get your poop in a group. That is a, my, my husband came up with that as a way not to swear when, you know, the other oh term. So get <laughs> your poop in a group. Show you though. You know what that reminds me of? That reminds me of the euphemism cuddle puddle. Is that really a euphemism or is that just a grosser way to talk about something that no one should ever talk about? Go on, get your poop in a group. Oh, good gracious. And we need a functioning government. Now I'm going to look up and I'm going to continue to look up. Period, full stop. Hey, Republicans across the nation, hear what Alicia Preston just said. We need get a functioning your poop government. In a group. We need a functioning government. Isn't That's this quite... embarrassing though? It's embarrassing. We do not have a functioning government right now, and it is because of the looniest of looney tunes in this country. It is Matt Gates, who is probably a pedophile. It is Lauren Boebert, whose husband is a convicted pedophile. It is Marjorie Taylor Greene, who I don't know what she files. It is like the craziest of crazies. Jewish space lasers, apparently. Space lasers against run by Jews or on Jews. I can't remember. Uh, invented. Believe it Invented. or not, by George Santos. Who's Jewish. No, he's Jew, Jew, Jew dash ish, ish. which yeah. apparently is not a thing. You can say as a Jewish dude, that's not a thing. When I studied for my bar mitzvah, we did not study the place in the Mishnah where it says you can be Jewish. So would that make me Protestant-ish or English-ish? What are we doing here, religion or, cult or culture? Look, I can't keep track of you Christians. You've got so many sects, denominations, flavors. I consider myself a modern Seventh-day Adventist Presbyterian Lutheran. <laughs> so, all right, look, now that I've managed to alienate most of the country. <laughs> all right, he, let me, yes or no. At the end of this week, Steve Scalise will be Speaker of the House. I said last night it could be possible. I think that is a very strong possibility. Look, he's number two to McCarthy. He's a little more, less controversial. 
I think it, it, I said, I think at the end of the day, McCarthy might get it. It's possible, but I think it is. You're right. I think it's a better chance that Steve Scully ends up with the speakership and I would be perfectly fine with that. He's not I as crazy. I agree. I think if you had to put money on it, it's not a slam dunk. Maybe there, there's still an appreciable chance that Kevin McCarthy waits this out and wears down the core never Kevin group seems to be in that five to seven range. Now that's still too high for him, but is there a pathway where you start to peel people off and you say, you, you've got to flip here for the good of the country and the good of the party from the people who aren't true hardcore? Yeah, there is a path there. And then could you maybe get three of them to take a walk or could you maybe give a further concession and say like, all right, motion to vacate, meaning at any time someone can essentially have a vote of no confidence and depose the speaker. Could you change the threshold from that to what's he already conceded to? It's five. Could you lower that to two? And could that get people on board? Is there a pathway there? Yes. But if I had to put a significant sum of money on it, I would say that it doesn't get there. They're in an impasse. And then you get what occasionally happens in politics. You and I have talked about this before, where you're sometimes in an uncomfortable position where your status is no longer tenable and your friends have to come to you and say, this is over. Andrew Cuomo, this is over. Richard Nixon, this is over. We are going to bail on you. And so you can do it yourself and retain a little bit of dignity or it's going to happen to you. But one way or another, this is happening. If I had to bet, I'd say that scenario is going to play out in the next 72 hours. And the most likely place they'll look is Steve Scalise. I think that's a fairly solid prediction. All right. Look, on that note, we've already gone on as long as we possibly could. I do want to close out the show. First of all, thank you to all of our listeners and viewers. Please do subscribe on the Blue Amp channel, or if you prefer your podcast in audio form, just wherever you get your podcasts. We love Apple Podcasts. We really do appreciate it. We had a great 2022 Beyond Politics was in the top 15% most shared and most listened to podcasts around the globe. Really tremendous. And we owe that to all of you. And final note, I do have to relay this breaking news that George Santos has decided to return his gold medal in men's figure skating to protest the rig judging system. But he announced that he is keeping his gold medals from the 100 meter dash, the women's marathon and the 1992 dream team. And on that note for Alicia Preston, I'm Matt Robeson. We will see you next time. <laughs>